And welcome to this week's episode of Esports Wrap. I'm your host, Michael Amorgan. And this week we're going to be talking about emulators. Now, for those of you who don't know what emulators are, they are essentially the means and the programming means, I should really and truly say, that allow you to be able to play games from some time ago or even more recent games on a platform that they were not necessarily intended to be played on. So as an example, a lot of people back in the day used to definitely um, use games from the arcade like Neo Geo, uh, Sega, so on and so forth, and enable them to be played on a computer. Uh, nowadays, you're able to play games on, you, there are emulators for such games on your computer, on your smartphone, people have them on <laughs> i guess in a sense you can play them on watches and people have really modified and placed it to the point where pretty much if anything has a screen it can almost play something and that's key in part uh, to the kind of community that this really and truly builds now what i mean by that is that these software that comes out these are actually things that are run and really managed by the community so for example if we have a lot of people that typically would be playing super smash brothers for example or let's go with a more recent game that actually kind of peaked this topic for me which is samurai showdown then you kind of can't play those old arcade versions of the games anymore. And I saw a 12-minute gameplay trailer for Samurai Showdown, and it I'll admit, it did not really do the game justice. And so I took a look at some old playback that I have from the old like arcade versions of the game. So this is like Samurai Showdown 1, 2, 3 four and five and as i played through these and i played several different love um, matches for each one i noticed that the smoothness inside of it was quite different like compared to the new version of the game which felt to both myself and quite a number of others very stiff and i i do wonder if that's not just because people were playing badly and trying to just spread out the time or something but the gameplay for that was much better and that's kind of how places like super smash brothers melee are still around because sure not all of them can play on game cubes and you know be able to keep that old type of game running in today's day and age especially since it's harder and harder to find GameCube controllers. It's harder and harder to repair GameCube devices themselves when they start to break down. And then being able to and keep making sure that you still have a copy of the game. That's where things like mods kind of come into play, but it's more so the ROMs. So those are the data of what makes the game the game. Essentially, you're able to dump the game data onto a computer or something like that. And then you have to compile it so that it can be played using an emulator. 
And that's what we're really focusing on today, the emulator. So I kind of just alluded to it, but there are a number of different parts that you need for an emulator. First, you need to have a good working emulator, and this in itself can take some time to be worked out. So for example, uh, we have a PS4 emulator that's been worked on for a few months now, and it's still nowhere near ready to play a single game yet. The closest that they, I've seen they've gotten recently was uh, that they can now show gr graphics on it, graphical um, graphics output, which means you can start to let you see stuff. And that's as far as they've gotten, and it's been a while now. And people are essentially saying, you know, don't expect to play a PlayStation 4 game on a computer, for example, for the next few years. It's going to take a while. And the reason for that is because of how they build the file systems and architecture for these different uh, systems. It's quite different than, let's say, the Nintendo Switch, the micro, um, Xbox, the, how it typically is for a computer, so on and so forth. These are actually built mainly to be played on one particular uh, platform. So that said, hey, thank you for the follow, Sinuous Ermini. Uh, Welcome to the cookie pack. How you doing today? But when you start to actually get into the actual ROMs, not all of them will always work. Sometimes you need the ROM to be coded to an individual computer, for example, or for an individual type of emulator or something to differentiate it from its parent ROM, which kind of leads into another thing is that there are different types of ROMs themselves. And I'm not just talking about the file system architecture because there are different ones of those as well. Like there's one sets for Sega, there's sets for Neo Geo, there's sets for like Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Color and Game Boy and Nintendo 3DS and so on and so forth. These architectures are all different and you can't just have like, well, you typically can't find an an emulator that can run each and every single one of these architectures properly. So you typically have multiple different types of um, emulators out there based on the type of game that you want to play. Now, what I was saying about parent ROMs and children ROMs, or some people call them orphan ROMs, is that sometimes you actually need a particular... <clears throat> Sorry about that. You need a particular version of the ROM so let's say if you want to play, I don't know, King of Fighters. Uh, you, for the 2000 version, King of Fighters 2000, you may need a parent ROM for King of, um, King, King of Fighters 2000. And then maybe a serialized, localized version. So you may, need, you may actually need two different types of ROMs to be able to play one game. And finding these ROMs is not necessarily an easy thing to do, especially with how some companies have been starting to crack down on them. The key one I think I, I can probably name is Nintendo. Um, back in July or August, sometime last year, so this would be 2018, Nintendo started really pushing hard against certain companies, well, I shouldn't say companies, but websites that were hosting these old, old games. And they 
essentially took one of the most popular ones to court. Uh, I think it was Love Emulators and Love ROMs. It's kind of like a sister site kind of situation going on there. And they charged him, if I'm remembering correctly, $150,000 per ROM that they had on the website. Now, this website wasn't really generating money. They weren't selling anything. They just had the ROMs that typically no one plays anymore and have them up for people to be able to download to be able to play and get that nostalgia effect kind of going on. But therein lies some problems because, see, that's still intellectual property. And with intellectual property, if they wanted to come back and play a future game, for example. Um, so, for example, let's actually use Samurai Showdown, which is a Neo Geo game. Now, in my younger days, I remember going to the arcade and killing this game. Like this was This was one of my favorite games aside from, like... Marvel vs. Capcom, Power Jam, and Rival Schools. Um, and of course, um, Metal Gear. Or Metal Slug, I think it was. Anyway. That was one of my favorite games. And to be able to be play that type of game, I'm not really going to be able to find that. So I was really ecstatic when I saw they were remaking it for 2019. I lost that energy and enthusiasm when I saw the gameplay because it didn't look anything similar to what I had experienced as my childhood. And you know, sometimes you put something at a pedestal when you're a child and you remember it wrong, which is the reason why I did my little research and I went back in time a little bit and I took a look at how it used to play and I was not wrong. I, I showed what I found to some people inside the local fighting game community and they albeit probably jokingly said they thought it was probably the new game that was coming up because of how smooth it was and it was actually better than the one that they've shown out now the graphics are much dumbed down and more pixelated as per back in the day but that's how the gameplay is it, it's very well done especially when you consider things from back then now I wouldn't have been able to do that if ROMs were around. And there are actual museums that have tried to encapsulate this type of gaming system where people can go in and see the types of games that used to be played. And the publishers have kind of started to try and knock these places out of existence as well. Because they're saying that these places mainly are just places for people to go play the games and not really go ahead and buy them but the thing is for a lot of them you can't buy and in some cases like nintendo sure they're doing things like the virtual boys on the um nintendo switch the wii u so on and so forth but you can play games from like game boy color and game boy um game boy advance and so on and so forth they haven't done anything for the um the 3ds as of yet because that's still in existence um Though they do have the kind of Virtual Boy on the 3DS as well, in a sense, but there aren't really that many good games worthwhile. So that being said, why is it then that we... <laughs> a few... I think it was uh, 2018. We found out that Nintendo released a, 
for the game for the Virtual Boy on the uh, Wii U, I think it was. It was either 2017 or 2018. That used and was an exact identical copy of an emulated version of the game that was being placed on the internet for people to download and play. This is, of course, the original Super Smash Brothers. Now, the maker of the game themselves said, you know, for the new version of the game, that, you know, it should have some slight differences inside the code if it was ported over correctly. And Nintendo at first, you know, completely denied that they had ripped it off from the internet. This then kind of changed tune a little bit as things progressed. And, um... It became interesting because, see, what they did is, and I'm, I'm trying to find the exact thing for it, and, I, and I'll quote here from Techno Buffalo, the difference between the pirated ROM file and the official Nintendo ROM like would have just been a few lines of text. If this is indeed what happened, though, you know, they need to acknowledge that to the community that about the preservation aspect of its work despite potential for um, piracy they do note however a little bit earlier on inside of this that fans of specific works and those mediums in general have an emotional stake in the preserving of these works while corporations but preserve preserve uh, preservative acts can be pushed by the wayside in favor of focusing on current profitable tasks. Brat notices that, sorry, Brat notes that this is all especially ironic as Nintendo is known for having a hardline stance against ROM creation, distribution, and emulation. You know, don't forget about their whole lawsuit thing, which then kind of had a trickle-down effect on other ROM sites, making them close down or stop um, distributing ROMs because they didn't want to get knocked out and sued essentially now nintendo denied that they used that rom from the internet but like i said matt frelizen the creator of the ines emulator says both versions of the game with the cartridge and the dumping method involved will often introduce some many differences but again it's identical to the same older rom of the game not the original game and it's possible and suggested that it was could have been a contractor publisher mis miscommunication with Nintendo outsourcing the emulation to the, the game to a third party and the third party taking to the internet when the physical cartridge was unavailable, meaning that they pretty much looked online since they couldn't find a physical copy of the game. And that's actually not too surprising that something like that happened because... Remember, a lot of these games, the game cartridges, well, they start to deteriorate over time. The data starts to be lost. If you pull out one of your old game cartridges from well back in the day, you probably, if you plug that in, can't play it anymore. Granted, there are still people that keep theirs in very good conditions, and so it's quite possible you can. But if you just had it lying about, open to the air and the elements... Well, there's a high chance that you could be slightly corrupted. It could have lost some data. It could have been completely wiped. And there's nothing you could do about that. And if that happens to all the game cartridges, then that game is essentially lost forever. Unless there's some master copy that they decide to take and 
redistribute to the public, which, let's be honest, probably won't ever really happen. Especially considering the fact that a lot of these games were created for such small resolutions that to make sure that they're being redistributed properly, they're going to have to upscale it and maybe redo some designs on these kind of systems. So that requires more work, that requires more money. It's not going to be such an easy thing. Now, yes, there are games like Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow that they decided to actually redo. And that's great. That's awesome. But at the same point in time, there are certain things that just simply do not work the same as they did before. So, for example, um, if you take a look at Pikachu Yellows, uh, sorry, Pokemon Yellow. In the original game, you could have got a surfing Pikachu if you had done certain things like uh, taking it to Pokemon Stadium or, you know, taking them to outside sources. You can't really do that anymore with the current version of the Virtual Boy version of the game, the emulated version, because it's locked inside of its own container and there's no real way for you can, to connect that version of the game to the original source. And they have no alternative source for you to do something like that. So you're essentially stuck with an incomplete game in a sense at times which you know doesn't necessarily feel good because then especially if you're a completionist it's essentially a part of the game that you can't complete now there are of course many other things that are happening like there are articles and put articles of like the five best NES emulators for Android, like Emubox, uh, John Ness, Nostalgia.ness, Retro 8, Retro Arc, which is actually a fairly popular one. Um, you also have like best Game Boy Advance emulators for Windows, like Visual Boy Advance. Oh my gosh, I remember that one. So as well as No Cash GBA GBA. <laughs> um, ones I. Another one that I actually never used was MGBA GBA emulator. I never really understood why they had the GBA GBA thing. Um, then, of course, you have Sony's PlayStation Classic essentially being an emulator. Um, and it's using an open source emulator at that. Now, they say essentially that... Da -da 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 -da. It's the ARM port of the PCSX Reloaded, itself an offshoot of the original PCSX emulator, which ceased development in 2013. It's not a crime or anything because Sony is well within its rights to do something like that. It's just really ironic that they're doing it and indicative of the hard work emulator developers have done for over two decades. And that it's a tool most famously, though by no means exclusively, used for privacy is being deployed officially like this. Um, it's a huge vindication of these rogue developers, as you might call them, whose software base on reverse engineering the proprietary systems of major companies has grown to not just be useful, but the best option for running these old games, as chosen by Sony itself. Game historian Frank Clifadi has an interesting thread about why this is so mind-blowing for some of us. Uh, I'm not going to really read that, but this is coming from TechCrunch. That's where I'm reading from with this particular article right here. And they say that it makes sense to a certain extent that Sony would have to dedicate a non-trivial trivial amount of resources to building an emulator from scratch, or even more complex, rebuilding the PlayStation hardware in some fashion, 
why don't you use a high quality open source emulator with years of active development and testing? And they do go on to mention that there are companies out there that choose not to do this and choose to start their own thing from the scratch. The first one that they have on this list is Nintendo. For its NES and SNES classic mini consoles, developed on its own emulators, but still emulators. And as it did for virtual consoles, so like I mentioned for Virtual Boy. And indeed inside Animal Crossing on GameCube. But even then, those devices were running on a custom Linux build, which of course uses a similar open source license. So it's true that emulators themselves were never really illegal. And that's a key thing that I want to touch on. For a lot of people, there's a lot of misconception that uh, having ROMs themselves are illegal. They're not. Distributing ROMs is illegal. <clears throat> Let me clarify. So, essentially, it's a legal gray area. And I'm going to read this part from PC World. That they've used the term countless times when discussing emulation, and here's the letter of the law version. Technically, it's legal to distribute the emulation software, i.e. BSNES or PCS2, um, X2, and also legal to dump your own raw BIOS or ROMs, which is what's required to be able to actually play these games properly. But it's illegal under current rules to distribute the ROMs or BIOS through though it and it has been illegal for decades let's be clear though nintendo is 100 percent within its rights to go after emulation sites and sue them you know you can't really say no to that that's their ip but then there's also the fact of the moral rights as this website wants to touch into so they're saying that let's go over what nintendo gains from all this legal action almost nothing it's 150 thousand dollars per infringing rom but it's lunch money for Nintendo and money that Nintendo knows it will never get. They then go on to say that Nintendo sells old software though, right? You know, like Wii's Virtual Console, convinced a ton of people to buy legal copies of Nintendo Classics. The last two holiday versions, holiday season, sorry, have revolved around Nintendo's exclusive NES Mini and SNES Classic Console refreshes. And a year, and later this year, the, I think this is 2018, yes. Um, they will dole out retro games on the Switch for a yearly fee. So then we get into modern day game piracy. How much does this actually affect sales? Would these people buy the games if there were legal options available? And is Nintendo actually losing money? And of course, Nintendo thinks so. Um, you know, they're treating emulation is the direct competitor because they themselves are emulating their games which is something is only starting to really happen more recently um across the board for both playstation and nintendo xbox has not really done it they've kind of done remasters of games like with the new halo remastered system that's coming out well series that's coming out i shouldn't say system but you know when you really think about it why would you buy a SNES Classic with around 30 games when you can just build out a retro gaming console on a Raspberry Pi and have a ton more games that you can, and or the entire library? So, are they really losing sales? PC, um, PC World does not really think so. Uh, 
but it's the most viable reason for a lawsuit. Now, that being said, I do believe that they probably are doing this because they're trying to secure the right in case they do decide, you know, we need to bring this game back to the um, front. People are starting to buzz about it again. Let's bring it back out. Let's remake it a little bit and throw it out there for people to buy. That's great. If there were legal versions of the game, you know, there would be people that would buy them for nostalgia. And, you know, in tapes, in terms of things like Super Smash Melee, if you could put that on Nintendo Switch, I'm sure there's a community out there. I'm looking at you, the Melee fans, uh, that would probably buy it for the Switch and then just use their GameCube controllers or whatever else they want to use to then play the game like that instead of modding out and playing it on PCs or uh, GameCubes and stuff like that. So there is both a for and against thing going on here. And I can understand both sides because on one side, you want the preservation of the games that you fell in love with or that you want the future generations to fall in love with, which you can't actually get anywhere else. And then you have the Revolution G says, we, the melee players, hear you loud and clear. <laughs> but then you also have the game developers and publishers and stuff like that who decide that they want to take their time with it, which kind of doesn't really resonate well with the players because they want to be able to play these games now. But they still want to be able to make money because, you know, this is an old game of theirs. They spent time and money on it. Granted, by all rights and services, they probably got a certain amount of money that would have covered most of the costs. And it kind of raises into question, when do these things eventually fall under fair use do they ever fall under fair use like literary works and movies and songs and stuff like that and that's something that people have been arguing about for a long time the fair use for these games which is kind of what those game museums were all about uh because they're not necessarily allowing people to just come in and play they are trying to be able to allow people to see what the games were like back in the day, back in the arcades, back when you can, when you had SNES and NES and GameCubes and Ataris and so on and so forth. You typically can't get these games. I've been saying this this entire episode, but you typically can't get these games like that anymore without having a ROM. And the means to get these things is by no means easy. You quite literally have to do a dump of the gaming, the, the BIOS for the um, game console to make sure that it'll run properly. Then integrate that with the ROM because the ROM has to be able to read the BIOS and make sure that it's actually connected and they're talking to one another in a sense to validate one another. And then you need the emulator, which takes a ton of development to the point where they quite literally took an open source emulator and then and sold it on their hardware which i mean in my opinion i think they definitely should have donated something back to the originators of the emulator and you have the quite possible situation with uh nintendo stealing an emulator version of the game and selling it which is 
a very gray area for me when it comes to legal stuff because sure it's your ip but it was also someone else's work which means that you're kind of jipping them so it's kind of like a flipping the finger to them on a whole different level and saying thank you for doing something we didn't want you to do now we will make money off of it when you could not so it's i don't know that kind of thing is really nasty to me now aside from preservation and you know copyright laws and dying games i'm not sure things would have been the way that they have been in the gaming community if these things did not exist i know many people would not have been able to buy these games and play them and maybe become and as they grow up actually able to buy the continuation of these games if roms were not available Case in point, look at Pokemon. They have ported Pokemon over to PC, to Android. I think there was even a version for iPhone if you jailbroke your iPhone. Um, Nintendo Switch can be jailbroke, well, can be homebrewed. I guess you can, I think that's the correct terminology for it. Which, of course, you know, bricks your device and quite possibly leads you to not being able to play online at all. And you get blacklisted on that device. But it allows you to then become an indie and old school emulator version of the game on a Nintendo Switch. Which, you know, everything still works. You can connect it to your TV and play the old games. And that's what some people have actually done. Now... I think that one is Retro Arc. Yes, Retro Arc. It's the uh, Spawnwave posted Retro Arc has an official release on Switch now. Those who have hacked their Switch can now play all types of emulators, including PS One, with online play, meaning that you can play with other people. Um, this person. Personally installed RetroArch on a Linux box and was impressed with its versatility and interface, which closely resembles the older PlayStation XMB interface. And once you've dialed, once you have it dialed in, it's a dream to play with. It will automatically add games to your collection, display cover art, detect a wide range of controllers, and even sports online play. That said, they practically drown in the dizzying amounts of options and potential tweaks, and expect ease of use only after you've put in a bit of time, research, and troubleshooting. Now, again, you can also install something like this on a PSP or a Vita. Um, but the Switch is a more powerful device. And let's admit it, it does have a bigger screen than the Vita and the PSP. And you can also connect it to a TV. So there's that. And by all means, I'm, I, I'm not like supporting or condoning piracy. I'm just simply saying the facts that... If these things did not exist, gaming today would also not exist in the current form it is. It would still be big, just not as big. Because, um, I mean, quite literally, we've had gaming competitions where Super Smash Melee has been around. 
for I think this is the first year that some pl- that Evo took it off. And there are some people saying that you know it's going to be taken off of some others over time. But the fact that Melee was able to play until this year before places starting to take it off is definitely something that is noteworthy. And yeah, that's an entire community that wouldn't even exist. And you know what? There are Nintendo Switch person um, buyers that are actually thinking of doing that whole homebrew thing, knowing that it's going to lock that Nintendo Switch for the pure purpose of actually having it as an old school gaming system and then getting another Switch to play all the new stuff on. Which is kind of crazy, because, but then again, it's it's like two, three hundred bucks for a Nintendo Switch. It's not that big of a thing, but I mean, if you just want to do it on your PC, there's also that. But it doesn't have as much controller support. There's people um, running retro games on the Nvidia uh, Shield TV. There are people doing five-in-one emulators to like do stuff on your PC with, like BizHawk. Which is an ultimate, quote-unquote, all-in-one emulator designed. It's, uh, let's see, you can play Nintendo DS, Sega 32X, PlayStation, Sega Saturn, Neo Geo Pocket, Sega Master System, Virtual Boy, Uze Box, and ZX Spectrum ROMs on your computer. Which is generally Windows-based for most of these. Um, I already went through a retro arc. There's, uh... Mednafen, which is more for PlayStation 1 emulators with support for Nintendo and SNES emulators. They also support certain things like the Apple 1111 Plus, the PlayStation 1, Sega Genesis, and Master System, Game Gear, Super Nintendo, and... Hey, thanks for the follow, Fraudfish. Um... Yeah, the supports Game Gear, Super Nintendo, Game Boy Advance, Neo Geo Pocket, Wonder Swarm, and more. Um, but it does not offer a direct install. You need to move around some files and folders to get it working. But unlike RetroArch, Madnafen is much easier to install. Uh, other features for that are like the ability to take screenshots, key mapping support for both gamepad and keyboard controllers, and the ability to record audiovisual movies in QuickTime file format. Haven't heard of that one in a while, have you? Um, it also has support for ISO files and the ability to emulate Turbo Graphics 16 CD PC Engine CD. And <laughs> thank you for fo- thank you for hosting Chilogen. Um, right, PC Engine CD, and so you know stuff like this is really nice. You also have ones like Final Burn Alpha, which, you know, they include the Capcom CSP, I'm sorry, CPS uh, 1-3 Cave RMM M620 and above Konami, Koneko 16, Neo Geo, NMK 16, Pac-Man based hardware, PGM. I bet you didn't know Pac-Man had its own hardware. Um, Sega System 1 and 16, Toppleman 1 and 2 and more. And they actually have like a full list on their website for that one. And you can even play that on your PSP if you follow like certain instructions on how to do that. 
And then there's LaunchBox, which is not really an emulator, but a front end for emulation, DOSBox, arcade cabinets, portable game launchers, and database. It was initially released as an attractive front end for DOSBox, but you know it's currently working for modern games and retro emulation. And you can add ROMs to it. It's not really that hard. Um, you can add run any emulation by simply loading the executable files and telling it to run the games via an emulator or DOSBox. comes in two versions, the free version, which works flawlessly without hampering the gaming experience, but then they have the premium version known as Big Box. And can get you more features like full screen support, custom fonts, color themes, additional filters, uh, gamepad support, and more. Now, if you want to do multiplayer, they actually have ones for that as well. And you have RetroArch, which is one of the ones I mentioned. Nox Player, which is more for uh, Android-based. Um, you also have BlueStacks, which is also Android-based. You have Null DC, which is great for Dreamcast emulators. So again, that's like um, King of uh, Fighters and stuff like that. Uh, that. Which also can read games from CDs as well. So I'm probably going to give that a... I shouldn't say that, but games like uh, Rival Schools, which you can typically only find on the iOS version of the game, you can use emulators like this and play that. Um, then you have Simu uh, Emulator, which you know is great for multiplayer and split screen, same screen, also online, and that does Nintendo Switch and Wii U games with ease. Of which you know they they even have an uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu emulated on PC. With stuff like this. Um, for this one though. You're going to need to have at least 4 gigs of RAM. Compatibility with OpenGL 4.1. And at least a medium, medium range processor and graphics card. So nothing too taxing. Um, it will allow you to run games in 4K quality. Works perfectly with both NVIDIA and AMD GPUs. But does not import Intel GPUs. Because the way how they actually encode their... Um, well, it's just pretty much the way how it integrates into that. It just doesn't always work. And there's MAME, which has been a very popular name when it's come to uh, emulations from way back when, even from the times of things like WinQuax and, you know, other emulators from back in the day, which, you know, it's actually surprising. WinQuax still has a decently sized uh, online uh player base to play games together thank you for following and welcome to the cookie pack jason smooth how you doing today um now again mame is you know it's a very good uh emulator for pcs uh this can pretty much do a lot of a wide range of old school arcade and um gaming consoles but it doesn't contain any pre-installed ramps neither does like well most of these um, you can find a few game options on their official website available for free download, but because the, the reason why MAME did not really get to become as popular is because the interface is not really that intuitive. Uh, it's a little bit harder. It's almost as bad as I think, I think it's called Rage MX or something like that. Um, but yeah, so it can... MAME is a is a pretty good one. 
in terms of what you, it allows you to do. In terms of Android, there's Mimu as well for PC. There's a, a PS3 emulator, which is called RPCS3. It's quite a mouthful, which works well on PCs, even though it will require powerful ha hardware and able to do so. But it's also open source, so it's constantly being improved by developers across the globe. Then there's Jenny Motion, which is another Android emulator. Then there's Xenia emulator, which is an Xbox 360 emulator that can run the games from that platform on the Windows computer. It runs about 90 different Xbox games and offers you the ability to save games to your hard drive. But it does require high system level requirements. Um, so you need to have a 64-bit version of Windows, a Vulkan or three, sorry, D3D12 compatible GPU and a 64-bit processor that supports AVX and AVX2. And that's also, I think you kind of noticed something as I was going on there. Emulation isn't just games. You can actually emulate entire operating systems on these kind of things as well. You can Android emulate uh, Android, that emulation is essentially how uh, you can have virtual boxes and parallel and stuff like that. You're essentially emulating a completely different operating system on a something that it's not really supposed to be ran on. This is how Windows computers can run uh, Mac software on, or Mac OS and how MacBooks and whatnot can run Windows um, using parallels or Wine and stuff like that to run the games. And... You know, things like this, they're just happening. People need them to happen. It's not just for games. Sometimes it's for professional use. And point blank, emulation is a beautiful thing. And I don't think it should be going away. I don't necessarily believe that the companies should be trying to sue for very old games that they don't plan on bringing back. If... They are concerned about their IP, then just make sure that there aren't any hacked versions going around that either cause problems or that alter the gameplay. Better yet, actually start bringing out these ROMs yourself and selling them at very cheap prices. Do not bring out a game that was from like two decades ago for like 30 something dollars. No, let it be like $5.99 for that game and then you just have that. It's inside your Nintendo library or PlayStation library or whatever library. And you can transfer it to whatever other system. You need to be able to make a continuous platform so you don't lose the games that you want to keep. If you need cloud storage to be able to save progress and to say how much, like that you, the fact that you did purchase this game, then by all means, have the means to do it. Um, if it's something like you need... A Nintendo Switch and you get the physical hardware version of the game. So you would have gotten one of these little uh, cartridges. Then by all means, you know, if you want to make sure the person still has the cartridge, hasn't sold it off and is just trying to play the game for free, have them plug it in every once in a while. So it's in like an active state kind of situation. You know, prove to us that you still have it. That's not that bad. But even then, the person paid for it. If they still have their save data, let them pay. Let them play. That's my personal opinion. I don't know what their own is. By all means, if you have your thoughts on this matter, feel free to message us on Twitter at M-O-A-R underscore cookies. 
or if you're inside of our discord feel free to message us there the link for our discord is generally under our videos our, our live stream and it should be on our website as well that's actually going to be it for this week's episode of esports wrap uh, it's been a really good episode thanks for everyone for who decided to either follow or host and comment and for all you listeners who are listening to the recorded version of this episode thank you for listening and again you know we are pretty much on almost every podcast platform out there so feel free to listen to our audio versions our website moarcookies.com we have all of our past episodes both audio and um, video versions on there and so feel free to check those out we have them on youtube as well if you prefer just to go through youtube and listen to a playlist and don't forget esports rap is on every tuesday at 6 30 p.m eastern standard time and our sister show more tech is on 6 30 p.m eastern standard time every thursday and that's gonna be it for this episode of esports rap I think I said that already, but until next time, guys, stay savvy.